Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. New charges against Donald Trump in the classified documents case. Prosecutors allege that Trump instructed two of his employees, Walt Nada and Carlos de Oliveira, to delete security camera footage at Mar-a-Lago that showed top secret documents being moved around. Page 29 of the superseding indictment out tonight reads, quote, de Oliveira then insisted to Trump employee number four that, quote, the boss wanted the server deleted and asked, what are we going to do? And you'll remember that audio tape that CNN obtained that captured Donald Trump apparently showing secret documents to a group of people who did not have security clearances. We now know that the special counsel knows exactly what was on that secret document. Just to remind you, here is how Donald Trump described it then. These are bad, sick people. That That was your coup, you know against you. That's well, it started right at the like beginning. Like when Millie's talking about, oh, you were going to try to do a kid. No, they, they were trying right. to do that before you even were sworn in. That's right. Trying right. to overthrow yeah. your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll, I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. <laughs> I just found. Isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case. You know. Mm-hmm. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. <laughs> secret. This is secret information. But look, look at this. You attack, and Hillary would print that out all the time. You know, <laughs> private email. No, she'd send it to yeah. Anthony Weiner, yeah, yeah. the pervert. Um, by the way, isn't that incredible? Though? Yeah. I was just saying because we were talking about it, and you know, he said he wanted to attack Iran and what. He's in the papers. Oh, this was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably. Right? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out. A, a, yeah. See, as president, I could have declassified yeah. it. Now I can't, you know, but this is. Yeah, now, now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, it's so. I'm, look, we here and I have. And you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, it's, I believe It's you. incredible. Right? No, they, hey, bring they some, uh, bring some cokes in, please. Let's get right to CNN's Zachary Cohen in Washington. Uh, Zach, that was just amazing to hear that all again. So tell us how these new charges relate to that audio. 
in this indictment do relate to that audio recording you just listened to that CNN broke uh, about a month ago. And it relates to a Iran military attack plan that Trump, you know, as you heard for yourself there, was showing off to people in his office and talking about uh, Mark Milley and his role in that document. And but that that document was noticeably absent in the first indictment, which included 31 classified documents. But today's indictment included one additional one, making it 32. And we now know that that document relates to the Iran attack plan that was mentioned in that recording. And look, this really does go a long way in contradicting Trump's subsequent denials that what he's talking about on that recording were even a document at all. He's, he's you know, come up with various excuses saying that maybe there are press clippings or whatever. But it's clear now in this indictment that prosecutors feel they have enough to charge this document specifically is the 32nd classified document that Trump willfully retained after he left office. So, Zachary, when we first I remember when CNN first obtained that audio, we didn't know exactly where that document was or what was on it. Now, do we? Yeah, that was sort of the, the big mystery in the first indictment, right? It was um, noticeably absent. And it now appears that prosecutors have managed to get a hold of that document that he's as mentioned on that recording. And we're, it's still not clear how they managed to do that or in what form, but it does. it is very clear that prosecutors feel they have enough evidence now to bring criminal charges related to that document specifically as they've added it as the 32nd um, document that Trump kept after he left office. Okay, so and what about the new charges surrounding the destruction of video evidence? Yeah, the indictment is really remarkable in the sense that it lays out a really detailed timeline of how Trump allegedly, with these two Mar-a-Lago employees, sought to delete security footage from Mar-a-Lago, footage that we know shows um, two employees moving boxes allegedly containing classified documents in them. And it, the, um, the indictment includes a new co-defendant, um, Carlos de Oliveira, who is, you know, was not included in the first indictment, obviously, but he's now being charged with crimes related to this alleged destruction or attempted destruction of the surveillance videotape at Mar-a-Lago. And one of the most remarkable things is after the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago, and there's text messages that prosecutors have clearly obtained that they say shows that President Trump himself, these two Mar-a-Lago employees were talking about how Trump himself is the one who wanted the surveillance video ultimately deleted. And so it really, for the first time, does provide evidence that Trump may have been the one who ordered the surveillance video to be destroyed. And that's been a big question this investigation since the very beginning. Okay, Zachary, thank you very much for all of that reporting. I want to bring in now former federal prosecutor Elliot Williams. We also have John Miller, our chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, and James Schultz, who was a Trump White House lawyer. Gentlemen, great to have you tonight. Elliot, as though the original allegations of mishandling top secret and classified documents weren't enough. Right. These are worse. I mean, these allege attempting to alter, destroy, mutilate, and conceal evidence. Am I right that legally these it's, are worse? It's bad. And it's also, if you look at the timeline that's laid out in the indictment, it's after they receive a draft grand jury subpoena. So they are on notice that the feds are looking for information that's at Mar-a-Lago. It's then at that point that they say, you know what? There's probably incriminating information on our security footage. Let's work together and get it deleted. And in fact, there's at least one phone call from the president to uh, the head of maintenance, I believe, Believe, uh, was his role at Mar-a-Lago. They speak on the telephone, uh, and then thereafter, there a number of employees get together to delete security footage. It is the kind of literally Abbott and Costello level incompetence of individuals who were. Uh, because let's back up. What possesses somebody? 
um, when there's word of a federal investigation to say, you know what, it might be a good idea for us to just go through um, the footage of us doing incriminating acts and get it deleted. It's just senseless. I don't know, it's John. Foolish. Yeah, I mean, this is someone to want to delete video evidence. <laughs> um, I invoke Rosemary Woods at this point. You know, if you go back to Watergate and, you know, the 18 minutes of the Nixon tapes that were deleted, this is a failed technique that we know from history. So it's just uh, amazing that in a case where you might be charged with obstruction of justice for hiding the documents or lying about it, that you actually drill down into the very definition of obstruction of justice, which is to take multiple affirmative steps to do away with evidence that could prove the case. It's, it's kind of remarkable. Uh, Jim? What are Donald Trump's attorneys doing tonight and thinking about tonight? Look, I, I mean, that, the government's case, of, they had a very strong case when they brought the indictment in the first place. The case just got better, right? When, when you have facts like these with corroborating witnesses, with text messages, with telephone calls, you know, that is very, very strong evidence and, you know, I, I, as far as what they're thinking tonight, I mean, I, I have to be thinking that they're reviewing this superseding indictment and trying to come up with some strategy to limit, ev limit evidence from making its way it, before, the, before the jury. And I'm not sure they get there. You can't think of any uh, strategy that would work. No, I, I, I don't see any, any pathway, you know, from what we know and we don't know some things, but, but any strategy where they could limit evidence by motions in limine and the like to try to prevent the jury from seeing certain evidence that might have be that might otherwise be incriminating. So without limiting evidence, this is a really strong case. Um, Elliot, here's some of the evidence that at least the prosecutors are presenting in the indictment. This I'll just read you a quote about uh, Trump employee number four and someone trying to get him to delete this stuff, this right. surveillance video. So here it is. Quote, uh, D. Oliveira told Trump employee number four, we don't know who that is, that the boss wanted the server deleted. Trump employee number four responded that he would not know how to do that and that he did not believe that he would have the right to do that. Trump employee number four told D. Oliveira, who was the chief, by the way, of maintenance at Mar-a-Lago, that D. Oliveira would have to reach out to another employee who was a supervisor of security for Trump's business organization. D. Oliveira then insisted to employee number four that the boss wanted the server deleted and asked, what are we going to do? So if let me take off my prosecutor hat and put on my defense attorney hat. And right. Here's how you would poke holes in all of that. Number one, in order to bring that, in, that evidence in front of a jury, you've got to have the testimony of employee number four. Sounds like they do. Well, well, you got to put him in front of the jury and that he's subject or she is being subject to cross-examined to having their credibility poked at. So wait, do you have a, do you have an ax to grind with the former president, your former boss? Were you disgruntled in some way? And you plant that seed in one jury's head that this person, did you vote for John Kerry or did you vote for uh, whoever, you know, what other Democrats or Barack Hillary Obama, Clinton. Hillary Clinton, whoever else it might have been along the way? Are you a registered Democrat? All of these things could be used to attack the credibility of this witness. And it's all fair game for court. On the timeline that Elliot was referring to before, I don't know if we put that up, but let's do it again. So on June 24th, John, the DOJ emails Trump's attorney with a subpoena requiring all surveillance records. Okay, then at 1.25 p.m., Trump's attorney speaks with Trump about this subpoena. Then two hours later, 3.44, Walt Nada inform, was informed that Trump wants to see him. 
And then two hours later, Walt Nauta changes his own travel plans and goes to Palm Beach. And he meets with Dee Oliveira, who's the head of maintenance, and they contact the IT director. So is that damning evidence in your mind, that timeline there? I think when you look at it, Walt Nauta is supposed to go to Bedminster with Donald Trump and instead is dispatched back to Mar-a-Lago, where he does two important things. First, he reaches out to the head of maintenance and has a series of calls and then a meeting um, just off the property, which is followed by going to employee number four, who in context could be the head of um, IT services uh, where the video is kept and asks him about deleting the entire server. So you see a chain there, but you also see something else. And as Elliot knows far better than I do, a prosecution can hang on a witness or can hang on a tape, but a good prosecution is elemental, which is apparently um, if they attempted to delete it, as it's written in the indictment, it suggests that they didn't succeed, which could mean two things. One, that they deleted it, so they thought, and the FBI was able to recover it from the bottom of those servers and bring it back. That's happened in many cases where they recover information that people believe they deleted. Um, either way, the indictment describes going down the tunnel, De Oliveri and Walt Nada with flashlights towards the storage room, pointing out the cameras, this is highly suggestive that they have all those videotapes. In the original indictment, there's references to videotapes of boxes being moved. So when you string all that together, the change of travel plans, going down the tunnel with the flashlights, talking to the IT people, asking for deletions, and when he says, I don't know how to do that and I don't have the right to do it in technical speak, in IT world speak, that means probably... I don't think I have the administrative rights on the system to delete the entire server. I'm going the next level up to talk to the head of security. So there's a lot there. Um, hey, Jim, remember when uh, President Trump spoke to Brett Baer about these classified documents? I mean, he referred to them as in that audio tape that we heard as top secret. OK, and he spoke to Brett Baer about what he was doing with them and why he was showing them to people without security clearances. So here's that moment. There was no document. That was a massive amount of papers and everything else talking about Iran and other things. And it may have been held up or may not, but that was not a document. I didn't have a document per se. There was nothing to declassify. These were newspaper stories, magazine stories, and articles. Just Jim, do you think that that causes him trouble? Um, at trial because it's so different than what we hear on the audio tape and what the prosecutors reportedly have in their possession? Well, well they purportedly have the document now, that 30-second document. And there were people in the room that likely saw that document. Those folks were likely interviewed and testified before the grand jury and likely corroborated that that was, that was the document that was put before them. So if all of that happened... That's a big problem for Donald Trump, no doubt about it. And, I, and all this comes back to, okay, the, the moving of the boxes, the, um, the, deleting, the attempted deleting of the, video t the videotape, um, all of those things. That comes back to, remember, he, his, his argument at the beginning was, I could just declassify all these documents. Well, if he could just declassify all the documents, why go to all those steps, right? That's certainly troubling for him. And now they actually have the document that you know, we had been looking for at the time of the last indictment and in the superseding indictment, it's referenced. And also on that audio tape, you hear him say, as president, I could have declassified these, now I can't. 
So that right. also seems to be problematic. All right, we have much more info on this developing story. Next, we're going to speak to a Watergate prosecutor about what he hears in these new charges. Donald Trump faces new charges tonight in his mishandling of top-secret documents. We've also learned of a new co-defendant in that case. With me now is John Sale, who worked as an assistant prosecutor on the legal team investigating Watergate. John is also the former assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. John, great to see you. So, um, John, prosecutors say that Donald Trump asked his personal aide, Walt Nada, and his head of maintenance, Carlos de Oliveira, to delete security camera footage at his Florida home in an attempt to keep them out of the hands of investigators. You, of course, were a prosecutor in Watergate. Does any of that ring a bell? Allison, Watergate, the le- one of the lessons of Watergate is the cover-up's worse than the crime. If this story could have had a whole different ending, it, and it's this involves a former president, that's what makes it different. But the issues here are, we face them every day, those of us who are in this kind of a practice. We get a subpoena, And the first thing we tell a client is we don't only say don't delete. We say take every precaution you can so that there's not even an inadvertent deletion. And then gather everything. Don't go around like Elliot said, I think Abbott and Costello, I'd say like Keystone Cops, go around deleting everything. Produce everything. And if that had happened, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be talking about this tonight. Mm -hmm. And if there are things you think you shouldn't produce, let's say the Presidential Records Act, which doesn't apply. But if you want to say it does, you submit what's called a log to the judge and you litigate that. And none of this would have, would have happened. But here we are. And you asked uh, if I were uh, or if John were, or somebody was a Trump lawyer, what would you do tonight besides tearing my hair out? I would say, Mr. President, please don't go on television and talk about deleting servers and uh, deleting surveillance footage. I mean, talk about political stuff, please. I beg you. You can only make matters worse. Hmm. We'll see if he takes that advice. Um, I mean, John, as we were just talking about with Elliot, at first we were talking about mishandling top secret documents, okay, which is bad enough. But now it's changed to talking about destroying or trying to destroy evidence. So does that change the timeline in your mind of being able to go to trial 10 months from now? It was set for May. It should not. I mean, the only thing that potentially could is you have a new defendant and the new defendant has to get counsel. And they're going to come in and say, hey, I haven't even been arraigned yet, so I need more time to prepare, which would play into the Trump delay playbook. But this new defendant who Carlos uh, Oliveira, what's his last name? I, mean, I don't even know his name. By tomorrow, he's going to be a household word all over the country. He is an ideal cooperator. He is somebody who the government would make a deal with, could use him. And when they put in the indictment that Trump said, hey, we'll get you a lawyer. Don't worry about it, something like that. Uh, Third-party paying, that was what we call it. That in and of itself is okay. But if he has an honest lawyer, an ethical lawyer, he's going to say, hey, Carlos, do what's best for you. Do what's best for your family. And if you want to go to trial, that's your absolute right. Because like in Watergate, the top aides to Richard Nixon went to trial and went to jail for him. But if these guys, either one of them, want to cooperate, they would make the ca- a strong case even stronger John, for the prosecution. Do, do you have a sense of why this info, which is sounds very fundamental and critical to the case, wasn't part of the first indictment on June 8th about, you know, corruptly concealing national security info? 
Well, they probably didn't have enough information to charge uh, Carlos de Oliveira. Uh, they were continuing the investigation. And he's the head of maintenance. I mean, my God. I mean, this is a relatively low-level person. I read somewhere that I think he was parking cars a year ago. So this is somebody who they probably were reluctant to charge. They probably reached out to him. They probably said, look, if you cooperate, you're going to have a lot less, if any, exposure. And they gave him a chance, and he didn't. So they chose they had no choice but to supersede and include him because he was culpable. John Sale, always great to get your opinion and expertise on this. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Allison. Nice to see you. You too. Let's bring in our guests. We're back with Elliot Williams, John Miller, and Jim Schultz. Do you, Elliot, think that this will change the timeline? That Can they still go to trial on in May? Well, they, they couldn't go to trial in May to begin with. That was a date that the judge had put on the calendar, which is common for judges to do, um, that I think Many people, myself included, would have expected would have slipped at some point. Once those motions start coming in and once they start contesting evidence and so on, it would take more time. In addition, now you have an additional defendant and more charges. This case ain't going to trial in May. Okay, so how long does it extend it by? I'm not going to even try to predict. It's going to be a long time. Um, I know the big million-dollar question is, does it happen before the 2024 election? I can't make that prediction, but these classified documents cases, while they can be brought in several months, often they tend to take well more than a year to come to trial. John, in terms of preparing for the trial, the government wants... Donald Trump and his lawyers to have to go into a skiff, you know, a secure room to talk about these highly classified top secret documents. And tonight his attorneys are making the case. Can't we just do it at his house because it's more convenient? Your thoughts on that? It's a little ironic. I mean, the heart of the case is these documents were in an unprotected, unsecure environment. And they're putting their best foot forward saying we'd like to keep them. Um, in this unsecured environment and talk about them out loud in a place that hasn't been swept for bugs, that isn't a lead-lined room. These are extraordinarily high classifications. Secret, no foreign distribution, top secret, uh, SAP, special access programs. These are things that only people with the highest clearances are supposed to even see, and they can only be kept, stored, or discussed in a secure environment like a skiff. So the idea of kind of casting all that to the side for the sake of convenience is um, a little tone deaf. You know, there's tremendous irony, uh, an additional point of irony, in the fact that often presidents, attorneys, general, national security people have skiffs at their houses. They will build these secure facilities into the residences of people who have to, to handle this information. Uh, it, again... It's not clear that there's one at Mar-a-Lago, and even, if the, and even if there is, he's a criminal defendant, and it would be truly remarkable to put evidence in his hands to view at home. It's just um, how it works. Jim, let's talk about another, the other case that the uh, special counsel, uh, Jack Smith, is investigating, and that's January 6th. So today we understand that uh, Donald Trump's lawyers met with Jack Smith himself. Do you have a sense of what they were hoping for with this meeting? So we, we heard today, or they came out of that, that they went in and they didn't talk about facts and the law, that they went in and talked about the impact this would have on the country. I don't think that's going to move Jack Smith one bit. And, and prosecutors, typically, when you go in and have these discussions, they do a lot of listening and not a lot of talking. And that's probably what happened in this instance. They were given their opportunity to make their pitch. The pitch probably fell on deaf ears. And I think an indictment's coming soon. Um, 
Jim, one more follow-up to you, uh, because you raised it. Uh, Trump's apparently, oh, well, this was in a Truth Social post. He says, my attorneys had a productive meeting with the DOJ this morning, explaining that I did nothing wrong and was advised by many lawyers and an indictment of me would only further destroy our country. So I understand that the destroying our country part probably won't move um, the special counsel. But what about I was advised by many lawyers? Is that a good defense? I mean, if your lawyer's if his lawyers told him he could keep the classified documents, would that be a good defense? Well, I think, you know, it, it, this was in the context of the January 6th case and in the context of discussing the, um, the, the, uh, the, the, over, the overturning of the outcome of the valid election. Oh, right, right, And right. the discussions he had and the, thi- and the things that he, information he was getting from his lawyers. And he's going to try to rely upon that. The problem is he got a lot of information from a lot of folks, and and, and we don't know what they have. I expect there's going to be a, a very voluminous speaking indictment here that is going to go chapter and verse about people that had talked with him about, you know, the results of that election, the actual results of that election. And it's going to come into play as to whether or not, you know, he believed he won or lost that election and whether it's reasonable that he believed that he won or lost that election. I think we can all agree that it's not reasonable that he that he would have said that he would that he won the election. But, you know, I think that's how that's going to play out. And I think that's that's going to be an important. They're going to be important facts. They're going to play out throughout that indictment. And when do you think that voluminous indictment is going to happen, Elliot? Well, they're scheduled, I believe, to be back in session on Tuesday. Um, and, and they have com- to be in session to hand down the indictment. Because they have to vote on the draft indictment that, that prosecutors provide to them. So uh, as long as the grand jury's in session, they can do it. Look, the former president received a letter about a week and a half ago indicating that he was about to be charged with a crime. Usually an indictment follows from that pretty soon. Well, I mean, indicating that he was a target. But we don't know he's tar- to be it indi- Indicating, let me be clear, that yeah. he was a target. Yeah. It is incredibly unlikely that anyone who receives a target letter does not eventually get charged with a crime in relatively short order. And, and an invitation to testify right, right. on his own behalf in the grand jury without immunity. Um, all of this spells out, we're wrapping up here, we're about to ring the bell, this is your chance to come in and tell your story. And it's interesting because, um, as Mr. Schultz was saying, you know, the Trump defense in the Manhattan DA's case is going to be essentially uh, Stormy Daniels shook me down for money. I paid her for her silence. Then she broke her silence. Why am I the defendant here? Uh, his defense in the January 6th case is going to be I had a bunch of lawyers telling me I was on solid ground. We had people doing investigations. We brought it to dozens of courts. Yes, we got thrown out of all of those courts with our court papers, but on technical grounds, not on our evidence. And we were doing this by the book. This just makes the documents case yes. more important from a prosecutorial standpoint because you have facts that are more black and white here. Did you have the documents and were they classified? Did you try to hide them? Did you take affirmative steps to obstruct justice when people came looking for them? It may be the lesser offense than something that led to near insurrection on the steps of the Capitol. Uh, but it is the clearer of the cases got, as it's emerging. First Amendment. He can say that I was, a, you know, I was a candidate. I was running. I, this was free protected speech. There are far more legal avenues he has for the January for the January sixth stuff. Yeah. With the documents, it's did you possess it and know you had it or not? Did you obstruct justice or not? Did you know there was investigation? What, if you get it to trial, it's going to take a while. Like I said. It's pretty straightforward. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Really appreciate all the help with this. All right, Republican senators react to the mounting charges against Donald Trump. What they're saying now. 
his numbers go up. I actually think that, that these indictments drive more people to, to Donald Trump's side than they do the other way around. These strategies to dig back as far as you can and trump up some charges against him is just backfiring. As Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill today arguing that support for Donald Trump only grows with another potential indictment. Let's discuss with CNN senior political commentator Scott Jennings and CNN political commentator Van Jones. Gentlemen, great to have you here. Van, those senators are not wrong if you look at the polls in terms of Republican support. So the latest Quinnipiac poll um, out this week, uh, actually, yeah, out this week, um, it shows that in terms of Republican voters, in February, Donald Trump's support was 42 percent. Uh, this month, it's 54 percent. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's tribalism. In other words, I know my guy is wrong, but you're not going to make him right. I'm going to I'll be with I'll be with my guy against your guy regardless. And so that's where where we are. And I think that that's that's going to be true for a while. Um, And I think that uh, Democrats and progressives, we just have this belief. if, If 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 more people just knew how bad Donald Trump was, then they'd suddenly start acting differently. I think people know how bad he is. I think some people actually like how bad he is. He, some people uh, like the anti-hero. They like the rogue. They like the lawbreaker. They like the rule breaker. And that's who he's appealing to. And obviously, that's his, his only strategy is to triple down on it. And that's what you're saying. Scott, if you were advising <laughs> any of Donald Trump's competitors, the Republican competitors, would you tell them to lean into this or to avoid it? I mean, I, I, it may not matter what you do. I mean, look at, look at the polling you just cited. Over a little over half the party wants to do Trump again, and it wouldn't matter whether any of his competitors said he's being persecuted or he's an idiot. Like it, it, it wouldn't matter because uh, uh, their views are not going to impact Republican voters. They're just they're just not. I think Republican voters, most of them, want them to defend Trump. But how does that help you win a primary? I mean, it really doesn't. This is not the right question, by the way. Of course, Republicans are rallying around Trump. The correct question is. What do voters who will decide the general election think about it? I think I know what independent voters think about it. I think I know what swing voters in, I don't know, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin probably think about it. We found out in the last election what they thought about it. So that's the right question. And I know why these Republican senators have to say, what they have to say, but why? My, why, why? They, they are already elected. Why they do got, these Republican they got, senators have to they say? Got to these, say? these Republicans that, with their constituents. I mean. They're servicing what they think their constituents want to hear. It's just that, you know, look at the election results from Georgia where we lost. Look at the election results from Pennsylvania and Arizona where we lost. This is where the race is going to be decided uh, among non-hardcore Republican voters. Here's the general uh, in terms of a general election matchup. This is another Quinnipiac poll out this week. So Biden right now has 49 percent and Trump has 44 percent. So to your point, I suppose. I, I think that Donald Trump... Uh, is making a bet, is it it a triple slump scenario. Uh, Three slumps give you Trump. Uh, The first slump would be, because these numbers are, they they are where they are, but they'll be different tomorrow, they'll be different next day. Uh, If there's an economic slump next year, that helps Trump. If there's a real serious health or performance slump from Biden that's really undeniable, that helps Trump. And then that could lead to a turnout slump for Democrats. Democrats are never going to vote for Trump. But they may be so discouraged by a bad economy and a poorly performing president that they don't come out to vote. So in a triple slump scenario, then you would wind up with Trump. And then he could say, none of this other stuff matters. Uh, if, if it comes down to 
uh, what some uh, district attorney or some, some federal prosecutor says about me, well, then maybe I lose. But I think, if you're Donald Trump, he's going to say, I think that's not going to matter as much as the economy and the bad things I can, can say about and point out about Joe Biden. Back to the Republicans for just one moment. The, the other thing that's going on with them, and I know you're going to say this is crazy, but let me just tell you what the average Republican is looking at this week. One day, the Department of Justice shows up in a courtroom and tries to give blanket immunity to Hunter Biden, the president's son and the chief rival of Donald Trump for the White House. And the next day they show up and continue to pile on Donald Trump. I recognize there's no real linkage between these yeah. cases, but in the minds of the, of the average Republican or Trump supporter, yeah. they see DOJ going soft on Biden and hard on Trump, and it enrages them. Yeah, I'm interested in this, and I do want to yeah. talk about this, and I want to hear your thoughts on that, man, in a second, so hold that thought. We'll be right back. We have a lot more to talk about. Okay, I'm back with Scott Jennings and Van Jones. Hunter Biden. So um, Scott was just making the point that basically it's two tiers of justice because Hunter Biden seemed to be getting a sweetheart deal and now Donald Trump is not. Is that how you see it, Van? Well, I don't see it that way, but here's what I I know. I know that when somebody's on your team and they get in trouble, uh, you may have heard of O.J. Simpson. Yes, okay. <laughs> there's, 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 there's this tendency to yes, start rallying it, around even the most nefarious, horrible people. I understand people. it's tribal. It, yeah, it, yeah. Yes. But do you think that there was something fishy with the Hunter Biden deal with the DOJ and his defense? And he was going to uh, get blanket immunity, but Donald Trump is not. Because you know that Republicans feel that way very strongly. I'll, I'll let the Republicans speak for the Republicans. But what, what, uh, here's what I know. If you're a little bit richer and a little bit more famous and maybe a little bit paler you do get better treatment from prosecutors. That's just the facts. And so did Hunter Biden get a better deal than the average person going through the federal court system? He did get a better deal. But did he get a, a deal that is, uh, that's commensurate with what he did? A, a, a gun charge mm-hmm. that he didn't use, mm-hmm. uh, first time of offense, you should get diversion for that. That's normal. That that's normal. Said, I think that Scott's saying that he's getting a better deal than Donald Trump. Well, no, well I, no, look, I think all cases should be judged on their own merits. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, but in this particular case, if you knowingly failed to pay millions of dollars in taxes on income that you derive from peddling your father's name to overseas actors, do you believe you would be sitting here tonight or somewhere else? Well, can't you say that if you had hundreds of top secret classified documents at your house that you refused to give back, you'd be sitting here tonight or somewhere else? I mean, can't and we that, use that same setup for and that's, Donald and Trump? That, and, yeah. that's, and, and, and that's the problem. Just, just, yeah, yeah. But, and that's the problem that we have is that I think there are Republicans who legitimately will say there's a two-tier system of justice. And I say, there, there is. And Donald Trump is the beneficiary of that because of Ilhan Omar had sick 10,000 Muslims on a joint session of Congress, she'd be under Guantanamo right now. So the fact that Donald Trump is wandering around this earth having done what he's done is proof, yes, there's two tears, but he's benefiting from it. He's not being persecuted by it. He's benefiting from it. I'll answer your question. If my last name were Biden, yeah, I guess I would be sitting here. Mm. Because (laughs) they did... I'm just I, I'm, I'm giving you a window into how the average Republican is, is reading this news and it. saying, wait a minute, the DOJ doesn't appear to care about Joe Biden's documents. They appear to think it's OK. For, he gave them back. Gave them back I mean, 
Like, yeah. It was asked. But I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. I, I just, I just, just wanted, I I'm appreciate you, you know. articulating how, because yeah. I've heard so many Republicans say that and drawing By that the way, equivalence. None of this makes what, Joe, what Donald Trump is doing okay. I mean, it's, this, is, this is weapons-grade buffoonery. <laughs> if you read this indictment, what they're doing, it doesn't make any of it okay. But you can see how a reasonable person might look at the whole thing and go, okay, this just seems weird to me. Thank you, gentlemen. Great to see you. All right. Meanwhile, LeBron James's son, Bronny, suffered cardiac arrest earlier this week. We have an update on his condition. Next. Bronny James was released from the hospital today after suffering cardiac arrest during basketball practice on Monday. In a statement, doctors say, quote, that they are hopeful for his continued progress and are encouraged by his response. Earlier today, LeBron James tweeted about his son, saying in part, I want to thank the countless people sending my family love and prayers. We feel you, and I'm so grateful. Everyone is doing great. Let's bring in CNN medical analyst Dr. Jonathan Reiner. Uh, Dr. Reiner, always great to see you, but it is alarming to hear doctors say that Bronnie James had recently, like a couple of months ago, had a cardiac screening and an EKG, and they both came back with normal results. So why do you think this happened to him? Well, it's hard to know. The, the specific cardiac screening that uh, Bronnie James had a few months ago included an echocardiogram, which is really designed to identify the most common cause of cardiac arrest in athletes, which is called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, a thickening of the heart muscle. Uh, but that only accounts for 40% of the cardiac arrest in, in young athletes like Bronnie. So there's still a, a big basket of potential uh, causes, including primary cardiac uh, arrhythmias, uh, things like long QT syndrome, and much of that still uh, has yet to be teased out. Do you think he'll be able to play basketball? You know, it's really hard to know without knowing uh, the sp- specific cause of the event. Uh, most of these uh, etiologies for cardiac arrest in young athletes are lifelong problems. You know, unlike the event uh, that uh, Demar Hamlin had, which was a one-off, you know, uh, traumatic injury to the chest resulting in arrhythmia. These other kinds of abnormalities that cause sudden cardiac arrest are lifelong uh, uh, problems, mm. and the risk will continue. Mm. So it, it's hard to know. You know, right now, I think the best news for Bronny James is that he was resuscitated very quickly. He left the hospital and really, you know rocket fast time, three days, yeah. and apparently uh, feeling well. So he should do well going forward. I place his basketball career uh, in far second place to that. So I hope he can play, but I'm glad that he's alive. Yeah. How are they going to monitor him now? Well, there are various tests that one can do to determine his, his risk uh, uh, going forward. First of all, there are genetic tests that can be uh, performed uh, there are implantable uh, heart rhythm uh, monitors that can detect uh, in uh, uh, real time whether he is having any uh, abnormalities. Many people like Bronnie who survive an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest will have an implantable uh, defibrillator uh, placed. Now, we don't know whether that happened. He, leaving the hospital in three days, I doubt uh, he was fitted with one of those, and it would be super hard to play in the NBA with an uh, implant implanted defibrillator, but uh, the uh, uh, details will arrive, will will be uh, sorted out in the coming weeks about yeah. what happened to him and then what to do uh, going forward. Dr. Jonathan Reiner, thanks so much for being with us tonight. My pleasure. 
And thanks to all of you for watching CNN Tonight. Our coverage continues now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.